Good morning, Taproot. My name is Kyle, and I will be reading the word for us this morning. Um, here at Taproot, we believe this is a continuation of our worship, and we ask that you remain seated, standing, standing, not seated. Um, at the end, when I'm finished, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond, speak, Lord, your servant's here. <clears throat> Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Again, if you're a guest, my name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here in uh, Tapper Church. And this morning, we are kicking off uh, a new sermon series uh, on membership. So in Tapper Church, we have uh, what we would just call a formal membership covenant. And for the next seven weeks or so, um, could change. We're going to work really hard to keep it at seven weeks. Uh, we're just going to work through why we do membership and then just kind of how it works itself out. So that's kind of where we're headed. So just a little break from the Gospel of Matthew and then the next seven weeks here in uh, working through membership. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be hanging out just in, in Romans 12 primarily. Romans 12 is going to be our, like, our jump off text um, every Sunday for the next seven weeks. So if you want to just really familiarize yourself with Romans 12, that's, that's where we're going to be every, every Sunday here. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll look at every, uh, 
other various texts, but primarily Romans 12. So, um, Membership is interesting. Uh, we've, been, we've had formal membership in Taproot for, I think, five years now. I think 2017 was when we kind of uh, kicked it off. And I'll be honest, this is a, it's, a, it's a bit of a nerve-wracking thing for me to, to talk through because uh, the first time we went through membership, I knew that there would be a little bit of pushback uh, because there's a lot of experiences that, that many of us have had when it comes to church and membership and what that means and what that entails. So I, I knew there would be pushback. Um, I didn't expect the pushback that we got. <laughs> and so I come, I, I, I will confess, I enter into this, this morning and this series just like a little uh, apprehensive, I think is the word. Uh, but, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to just work clearly through this. I also feel like I didn't sleep great last night and my head is somewhere over here, uh, even though it looks like it's here. It's not somewhere up in here. So it's, that's how I kind of feel like I'm processing things this morning. Um, but here's, here's, here's what I want to do first. I want to start out by just kind of laying out a few reasons why we're doing this. Okay, so uh, in the past, what, we have, what we've had is we've had um, our membership covenant has been kind of laid, and uh, the way that we've worked through it and, and added new members into the church is by doing a short class, a two-week class, and then um, just working through the covenant together in that class. But there's, our, just, there's just an opportunity before us to kind of bring some clarity to things as a whole church. And so I just wanted to kind of put those before us first before we really get into uh, our text this morning. So uh, yeah, a few reasons why we're doing this, four to be exact. I don't have anything on the screen this morning. It's all just right here in front of you. Uh, the first is this, the building transition and the establishment of bylaws. So this is, this is actually like one of the main reasons why we're doing this this way is because uh, what the building has forced us to do is, is to establish bylaws. Uh, and so that, that might sound funny. Some of you might be like, well, didn't we have bylaws like eight years ago or seven years ago when you started as a church? And the answer is no. Uh, bylaws are interesting. It's actually one of the things that you, you don't, you're not you're not required to have them as, as a church. And what's also interesting is that bylaws are kind of like the, they're, uh, they're legal documents. And so uh, they help us in the eyes of the government and the IRS, uh, which just in case we didn't know, uh, the government and the IRS doesn't tell us how to do church. Um, but in order to be established as a 501c3, uh, you have to have bylaws. And what the building, the, the, the way that that's working is uh, the basically... Lawyer, lawyers are to communicating to each other, and the lawyers basically want us to have an official 501c3 and official bylaws. And that all, it's like my least favorite thing to talk about when it comes to the church. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting, like, I remember when we, when we started Taproot Church, uh, there was a, a guy who, like, he professionally helped people uh, deal with, like, bank accounts and all of the things that church planters really shouldn't be dealing with at all. Um, and his first, like, words of wisdom to me were, don't worry about bylaws. Because churches, when you become incorporated, you're automatically um, a nonprofit. You don't have to go through that whole process. And so all the process does for us is it, uh, it further, like, legitimizes us in the eyes of the government. And, and then it kind of adds some protections. And so that, that's the, kind of the, the big jumping off point for us is the, this whole building transition has kind of pushed us into that next step. And so uh, the past six months, 
Uh, Pastor Will, in particular, has done a really good job, a lot of hard work putting together bylaws, and then we've worked through them as elders. Uh, We've read through them, and we've approved them, and so we're just kind of moving forward with that. So that's that's the first main reason why we're doing this. Um, Second is because there's several newer people and families who desire to be members. So over the past few months, there's just been a lot of people who have come up and said, hey, when's the next membership class? We want to become members, so on and so forth, which is really exciting. And so uh, we just thought that this would be a good opportunity to kind of provide a whole membership class, basically, for the church. Uh, Third is because of the constant need to reform and clarify in our rapidly changing world. So uh, believe it or not, as church leaders, we're learning things as well. And this is actually one of the very first things that we tried to make as clear as possible when we first established membership was that we weren't going to get it right the first time. And we knew that this would be an evolving process. And over the past five years, it's absolutely been an evolving process. And so if you can kind of imagine when we first established membership and the membership covenant and uh, the requirements and all that went along with it, uh, we kind of started in this area. And then there was a lot of, a lot of um, push. And that caused us to kind of go all the way over to this area. And so we've been navigating this for a few years now, and now we're trying to land back in the middle a little bit. Does that make sense? And so we've learned a ton over the past five years, uh, I think at least. And so uh, we're just wanting to continually reform and clarify who we are as a church and who we are as followers of Jesus and what it means to be disciples of Jesus today. And then fourth, it's just good for us to be reminded like it's, it's, it's good for us to constantly be reminded about who, who we've been called to be. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be followers of Jesus? Because uh, in this room, like I can just scan the room, and I know that we all have varying backgrounds and experiences that have informed our understanding of what it means to be the church and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Like one, one example right off the bat uh, that we'll hit at in the coming weeks is like, the whole idea of church. Many of us grew up with the view that church is somewhere you go. It's a, it's a place or it's an event. Well, church isn't somewhere you go. We have, we have a building that the church gathers in, which communicates to us the reality that we, as followers of Jesus, the people, are the church. And then there's a, a particular way in which we're called to live life. And, and that we're accountable to in and, and a way that, that we are to function with one another. And membership tries to communicate those realities, and it's just simply good for us to be reminded of these things. Paul says this in Philippians 3.1. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Which I love. That's Paul's way of saying, I, I could just say the same thing over and over again. It's no big deal to me, and it's safe for you. And then one of, my, one of my favorites in this regard is in 2 Peter. Um, I want to just read the first, well, several verses here. In 2 Peter 1, 3 through 15, listen to what this says. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So just stop there and make comment really quick. Peter has just clarified for a church, or for a, a group of churches, what it looks like to be committed as followers of Jesus. Like, what, what does this life look like. And he says to put on these things and to to supplement your faith with virtue and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and so on and so forth. So he just establishes this is what it looks like to live as followers of Jesus. And then he says this, verse 12, he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So he's like, hey, I know that you guys know this. So as, as we work through this, my assumption is that most of us know the things that we're going to be talking about. But, but what Peter communicates and what we're communicating is that it's helpful for us to be reminded in them and to know that we're established in the truth that we have. And he concludes saying, I think, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so uh, what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks, uh, this morning is a little bit different because it's just kind of an introduction to membership. And then the next seven, six weeks, we're going to work through our, our core values. So our, our membership philosophy is, is based and built off of our core values. So we have five core values as a church. Uh, number one is the authority of Scripture. Uh, number two is the centrality of the gospel. Number three is the spirit and prayer-led life. We're going to break that up into two parts. Uh, number four is the simplicity of the local church. Might get broken up into two parts as well. Just warning us. Uh, and then number five is the flourishing of, currently it's the flourishing of our city. It might be adjusted to just the flourishing of humanity, because right? really we don't care where people are located. We want them to flourish as followers of Jesus. And so that's, that's what the trajectory looks like for the next couple of weeks here, okay? Uh, so a few other things here. I wanted to just kind of talk about the process for us. Uh, first off, when it, uh, with the bylaws, just so everyone knows, they will be made available to everyone beginning next week. So if you're like, yeah, I want to I wanna step into this and I'm really interested in being a member in Taproot Church, um, there will be a sign-up sheet next Sunday that, that will be made available. Sign up and we'll email you the bylaws, okay? Um, also, so what that means is this, is to be a member from here on out, to be a member in Taproot Church, you have to be in agreement with our bylaws. So what that means for all current members is we're no longer members because <laughs> no one has signed off yet on the bylaws, Right? Uh, so even as all of us as current members, uh, we have to read through the bylaws. Uh, fantastic read, by the way. Uh, super uh, just lawyery and all that stuff. Um, 
Read through those, understand them as best as you can, uh, and then we have to be in agreement. And, and I, I understand that in agreement, like, uh, that can be flexible. I know that there are, there are, like, we're not gonna maybe agree on every single word or detail, uh, but I think in spirit is the idea that we're gonna be in agreement with the whole of our bylaws together, okay? Uh, if you have, and as you work through those, if you have questions, um, talk to Pastor Will. <laughs> so. We didn't have Pastor Will last time we did this. <laughs> He's in type of your kids today, so you guys can all tell him I told you that. Okay. This is really weird to me, this thing. <sighs> okay, so that's that. Um, what else? Okay. For those who are not yet members, um, consider this your membership class. Okay? And... So what that means is this is, this is the class. Uh, there is an application that will be made available to everyone, again, on CCB, Church Community Builder. You have to go and fill that out. Uh, that includes writing out your story. Stories are so important uh, to our, our existence as a church. I, I love, um, I think there's several home groups that are working through stories again. Our home group is working through stories. And, and really what we do in our stories is it gives us opportunity to know and be known. Because uh, just like Hunter read this morning, uh, like God is triune. And so you have, you, like built into the reality of who we are as humans is community. And, and this reality that we exist to know people and to be known by people. That's how we're, we're made to flourish. And, and the way that that really works itself out is by being able to know each other's stories. And so as pastors, uh, what's cool is, is when people come and share their stories uh, with us, people who we might not get to interact with all that much, um, we at least get to hear their stories in that particular setting. And so stories are really important in the life of Taproot Church. Um, and then, yeah, after the whole application thing, uh, you'll set up an interview. I know that that sounds formal and weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just is. Uh, it's, we sit down. It's not like a grilling session. We just sit down. We talk with each other. It's, it's really mostly painless. Okay? Mostly. <laughs> um, and then, let's see. I want to make sure I cover all of this. Okay, starting next week, we're also going to try something a little bit different. Uh, we'll see how this goes. I'm going to try to keep my sermons to 45 minutes. If you're a guest and you're like, 45 minutes, that's really long. No, it's not. Um, I'm going to try to keep it to about 45 minutes and then leave space at the end for question and response. Okay, so we're going to try to use an app called, or not an app, yeah, it's an app called Slido, and what it does is it enables you to text in your questions anonymously, and then you can, as a, as a group, you can vote for what you think the best questions are, and so you kind of like them, and then it puts the, the most voted for questions at the top, and we'll answer as many questions as we can. So the other thing is keeping in mind that um, this is a series, so we're not going to answer all of the questions like in one sermon. A lot of questions might get answered uh, as we go, so we want to try to keep questions uh, to the specific sermon that was preached that morning, okay? Now, if you have questions uh, after this morning, write those down and ask them next week, because this morning you're not going to have time to ask questions, okay? So that's kind of the, the process uh, that we're working through. This morning is introductory, just trying to lay the groundwork for the importance of local church membership. Sound good? Yes, good. All right, with that, 
let's get to work here. Normally I have two hands to turn my Bible pages, but first world problems. This is a big deal. I'm sorry. Like, okay. So I don't, I don't have, um, I don't have three points this morning. I just have kind of thoughts that I'm going to try to string together for us. But within, within all of this, what I'm trying to establish for us is the biblical precedent for membership. Okay? So that's kind of like the overall point. If we had one point, it would just be that, the biblical precedent for membership. And I just want to establish what we believe the Bible has to say about local church membership. And I'll start out with this thought, okay? And, and, and just listen, listen along with me here. So here's the thought. Though Scripture doesn't command membership, it always envisions a people covenanted to God and to one another. Okay? So I'll say it again. Though Scripture doesn't explicitly command membership, it always envisions a people covenanted to God and to one another. So we're just going to deal with that statement here. Um, first part first, and then we'll deal with the second part. So first, the Bible doesn't command membership. Now, this tends to be the first argument against local church membership. Right? And it might, be, might even be where some of you this morning are, are at already. Like, uh, you're like, ah, oh, membership, and you've had experiences, or you've just been in churches that don't have any sort of formal membership covenant. And one of your first thoughts might be like, well, where is the verse? What, what is telling us that this is something that we should do as a local church? And it's true, right? There is no command that says thou shalt have local church membership. But I also think that if we just go off of this logic, I think it's pretty weak. Okay? And here, here's why. There are several things that we do as a local church that aren't explicitly biblical, right? So just to, to think through a few of them for us, I would just say like the way that we do our gatherings. There's, there's nothing in the New Testament that commands the way that we do our Sunday gatherings. There's nothing that, that informs us or tells us that we should start off with catechism and then we should have two songs, and then we should pray and read scripture, and then we should have a sermon, and then we should have a few more songs in communion, and there's like, there's nothing, does that make sense? There's nothing explicitly biblical that's driving that for us, yeah? As a matter of fact, I was trying to think through it. One of the only, one of the, not the only, uh, one of the scenes that I can think of of a church gathering, though, in the book of Acts, for example, uh, is oh, I can't remember what chapter it is right now, but Paul preaches for a really long time, and it's actually at night. So maybe we should start gathering at night. No? Yeah. Exactly. That's my point. Yeah? So, um, so there's our gatherings. Uh, here, here's one. Any sort of age-specific ministry. Right? So think through Scripture. There's nothing in Scripture that commands that we have to have your kids or any sort of youth. None of you are going to complain about that, though. In, in fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> All right? if, if anything, there's like, hey, um, can we have more Taproot kids? <laughs> right? Like this morning is unique because most all of the kids are, are downstairs. Like we could have a moment of silence if we wanted to. Right? 
But there's no command in Scripture in, towards any sort of age-specific ministry. In fact, if you were to look through the New Testament, if anything, you'd see a very integrated church as far as age groups goes. Okay? Uh, another one is, is baptism and communion. I don't, I don't necessarily think that the way that we do baptism and communion is the way that it was done in the New Testament. Communion in particular. Communion was a whole meal. We have, we have a cracker and a little tiny miniature cup of juice. Right? So there's, there's, the point is, you know, there's, there's several things that uh, we do that aren't explicitly in the Bible. Here's another interesting one. Bylaws. I'll, I'll come back to bylaws. So, so this is where things get funny. Often, people will come and they'll say, hey, where's your bylaws? And, here, and here's what it is. There's a complaint. Membership is not biblical. But where are your bylaws? To which, <laughs> bylaws, are, are, there's nothing in Scripture that commands, thou shalt have bylaws. Right? Uh, but that's just, so that's an example. Uh, what's interesting about that is that though they aren't in Scripture, some would value them as more of a legitimizing factor than what actually makes a local church legitimate. Because right? what makes a local church a local church is established elders, established leaders, uh, the preaching of the word, and communion and baptism. Those are, those are the, the main like, key ingredients of, of a local church, not bylaws. Yet we live in a culture that kind of demands bylaws, okay? There are also, just to, to flip this a little bit, uh, there are numerous commands in the Bible that we don't obey. Yet, we often don't fight for those either. So, for example, greet one another with a holy kiss. That doesn't count, you're married. <laughs> All right, but... Yeah, we're, we're not going to start saying, hey, you know, the Bible says, like, it's a command. These are, this is an actual imperative that we see in the New Testament. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It's in there a couple of times. You know, I'm not about to encourage that. Like, that would cause other issues. It's just not how we work. Um, another example, lifting hands when we pray. Paul, Paul commands Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Men should lift hands when they pray. I, I, I rarely see any of you men lift your hands for anything. That's not a cut either. Just <laughs> that could have sounded bad. <laughs> um, here's one. Wearing head coverings for women. Or, or, or being quiet in church. I know, that gets super... <laughs> We'll talk about that later. That gets super edgy. I'm just saying these are commands in the New Testament that we're, we're willing to kind of have some understanding with, right? Um, what else? Ooh, this one. Washing one another's feet. Um, Jesus, Jesus commanded this. Jesus, in John 13, he washes the disciples' feet, and then he tells them to do the same thing. I'm not going to touch any of your feet. Like, I... It's appalling. To, it's gross. Like, I have no desire. I love you very much. Not that much. No, if, if it came to it, I would. But I'm just saying, it's a command. It's not something that we follow very specifically. Sabbath is another. That's a command. And yet we're very quick to ignore that. 
I was reading through the book of Acts recently, well, still am, but uh, Acts chapter 4 ends with the church, like the church is growing rapidly. And, and what's the scene that you see at the end of Acts? It's, or Acts 4, it says that they were all selling their homes and their property and putting all of the money at the apostles' feet. We're not doing that. Right? So, yes. The Bible doesn't command thou shalt have local church membership. It's not explicitly expressed in Scripture, but this doesn't mean that it isn't good for the community, for for the overall flourishing of the local church. And and part of what we'll see next week uh, as we look at the authority of Scripture, we'll learn that the, the Bible is wisdom literature, right? uh, which means that we need to practice wisdom and how we interpret and apply. And not everything in the New Testament is a one-for-one, right, from 2,000 years ago to where we are today. Uh, But we believe wholeheartedly that local church membership is helpful for us. Furthermore, membership is absolutely assumed through the whole Bible and especially in the New Testament church community. I I would just, I would, I would be willing to just argue the fact that Romans 12 is a clear picture of this. We have this, this language. Just read it with me again here, um, verse, starting in verse 3, just 3 through 6. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Right, so Paul's communicating to a group, to a local church in Rome, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So what Paul begins to clearly envision for us and what the Bible envisions for us is a people covenanted to God with one another. And, and, and really, I think the vision that we get is a people that are covenanted to God and to one another. That as, as followers of Jesus, what we're doing as a local church is we're committing with each other to be followers of Jesus. And, and we're expressing that this is a reality that we can't live on our own. But we understand, rather, that we're one part. We are one member among a complete body. And that we actually flourish uh, when we work together. And and when we work together the way that God intended us to work together. And and we'll, like I said, we'll work this out over the next couple of weeks. But this this togetherness, this, this covenanted nature of God's people is very very implied, and I would, I would say it's explicit through numerous parts of, of the whole scripture. Okay? Uh, so just, just as an example here for us, uh, turn really quick to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have a Bible or a phone. So, again, Peter, what Peter's doing is he's, he's writing to a group of churches. 
Okay, so we see that in 1 Peter 1, verse 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So it's these churches that have been dispersed, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, so you have a group of churches in which he's writing to. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he gives this description of who this people is. And, and what's important for us to understand about 1 Peter chapter 2 is what I'm about to read is it's stringing together a whole bunch of Old Testament texts. Okay? So listen to what it says here in verse, I'm just going to, I'm going to do, um, I'm just going to start in verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay. We'll stop there. So, so notice Peter's encouragement, his admonition to the church is this. is First off, recognize who you are. And so this, this chosen race, this royal priesthood language, it would, it would take us back to Exodus. And it would take us back to this picture of, of who God was establishing his people to be uh, when he first established Israel. That they were to be this, this set-apart people who would stand out as a light to the nations around them. And, and so it is for us as a local church. Uh, so it would, it, would be, it would be as we understand that we're part of the universal church, uh, just the church around the globe, but we also understand that we're part of local churches, and as a local church, this is who we have been made to be, this set-apart, chosen people. And, and then we're to live our lives together in a particular way. So notice he gives them this identity, and then he says, he kind of gives them some warnings about how not to live. Because what we're called to, just like we have learned uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, and in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, is to be what? Salt and light. A city on a hill. And so you have, what you have in, in the New Testament, this text in particular, and then all throughout, is this reality, that, that the yous, so when Peter says you, or Paul, when he often says you, what does he mean? Y'all, yes. Y'all. We need to, like, officially adopt that. Second person plural. He, he, he's capturing a group. And, and this is important for us to just kind of always be aware of and reminded of because it's so easy for us to read the Bible very individualistically. And, and, and when we see you, we're like, oh, me. No, y'all. And so when we read you, we should think taproot, at the very least. And then even, even beyond that, yes, but specifically because we are taproot church, we should think taproot. Right? And so you have this, this vision of a people who are created for God's own possession, who need one another to endure and live a godly life together. This is what membership drives at. 
is this reality. We understand God has made us into a people. Now, as such, I want to be committed to a people. And I understand that as a follower of Jesus, I, I cannot live a godly life apart from other followers of Jesus. And I hope that you all have experienced the same thing. Like, I hope there's some point in your life where you try to do it on your own and have, like, fallen flat on your face. And if you haven't yet, it's coming soon. Because we just can't. We can't do this alone. We are intended to live life together. So, back to Romans 12. Here's, here's our core text for this whole series. Okay? I want to start with this. It might be a little bit of a trick question. But I'm going to ask anyways. What's the most important chapter in Romans? <laughs> chapter one. Chapter one's important. I know. So it's interesting, the other, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a, a seminary professor, and he asked me this question, because he said he likes to ask people this question. What's the most important chapter in Romans? And a lot of people will say, like, Romans 1, or Romans 3, or Romans 8, or Romans 9, but what we often miss is that Romans is, is leading us to this point in Romans 12, what Romans is doing, what Paul is doing through in, in his letter to the Romans is he's establishing a vision for who this church people is to be, what we're to look like, how we're to live with one another. In, in Romans 1 through 11 is this establishment of the gospel, the good news in Jesus Christ. And because of the finished work of Jesus, it creates this particular people. And so the most important chapter in Romans isn't a chapter, it's a section. Uh, and really, I think it begins at Romans 12 and really carries through the end of the, the book because it, it, it distinguishes for us what we're supposed to be like as a people. And uh, was, yeah, it was Hunter reading uh, this morning from the, uh, the catechism about the Trinity what you see in Romans 12 is the creation of this people where uh, you have unity amidst diversity. Right? And so if we, if we can just understand the Roman world for just a minute, I'll, I'll try to succinctly describe it. Um, number one, it was incredibly diverse. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was an honor and shame culture. So the way that you got up in society uh, is by basically... Oh, sucking up to those above you. And, and then you would only be able to climb the ladder if those above you picked you to climb the ladder a little bit. And so it was this very works-based, uh, honor-driven culture. And what Paul is doing is he's, he's kind of laying all that flat. And he's saying, no, in Christ, this, these former structures, uh, that, that's, that's Romans 12.1, right? Do not be conformed to this world. He's saying these former structures that you used to live by and under, they're gone. They've been laid flat in Jesus. We're now living out a new reality in Christ. We now interact with one another differently than what you ever have interacted with one another. 
And then he paints this picture for us of a body. And this is, this is one of Paul's favorite pictures when it comes to the church, is, is a body. Understanding that a body, the physical body, is, has many members, right? We're supposed to think of our physical body, hands, eyes, ears, nose, arms, so on and so forth. And understand that each of these members have various functions and roles, but that they're, they're unique, they're connected to the body. And, and we can be silly with this. Like I, I was going to bring up an illustration and I was going to try to pick up a coffee cup with my elbow. That's what I was going to try to do, right? Like no one does that because it doesn't work, right? I need my hand. I need to hold my body. Again, too, it, we know that if, if our hand gets cut off and it's no good, it needs to be connected to the body. And so this is what Paul wants us to see when it comes to the church, that, that our our members, our parts are to be connected to the one whole and that we actually flourish when we celebrate our diversity. When we celebrate that we don't, we don't all function the same way. We don't all have the same ideas. We don't all have the same minds. We don't all have the same gifts. But we flourish as a people when we, when we push into that, when we encourage one another into that reality. And so this is what Romans is getting at. It's the formation of a diverse yet unified in Christ community. Okay? Now, how are they to live? Well, they're to live very humbly committed to one another. So look again there at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So you have this very humble, committed to one another group of people. Now, try to see if we can work this out a bit more. Um, The way that membership was expressed in the New Testament was through baptism. That, that was, the, that was the, like, the tangible, physical expression came through baptism. Uh, and then subsequently, communion. And so it, it's often asked, well, why don't we do that as well? And, and simply put, it's because baptism and communion aren't understood anymore. Uh, the way that baptism is communicated or has been communicated in our church world for most of our lives is that it is this personal, public proclamation of our faith. And so we baptize people, we go, yay, that's awesome, they're public followers of Jesus now. But what we fail to understand is that baptism was and is a picture of entrance into the community of Christ followers, it was this, this tangible, physical representation of, of what Jesus had done in this person. And as the person went under the water and came out of the water, what was being expressed was a, a commitment to Jesus and a local church. Because it was in the context of the local church that baptism happened. And the local church would understand, oh, we are committed to this person now as a follower of Jesus. And you have this mutual accountability. And here's the thing. Here's, here's where it really uh, is challenging for us. In the first century church, 
to be baptized was to put a target on your back. Like you didn't, it was public in the sense that it was hidden with a group of Christians. Because, because a public baptism in Rome would have led to your certain death because in being baptized, what was being proclaimed is that Jesus is Lord. And guess who doesn't like that? Caesar. And so the challenge that we have is, is uh, baptism doesn't express that anymore for us. We want it to. And so every time we do baptisms in Taproot, we communicate these things. Like we're gonna do a couple baptisms at the end of the month and we're going to communicate that, that these people are expressing a commitment to be followers of Jesus for life. And we have a, we have a responsibility as a local church to them. We want that to be clearly communicated. But we also want that to be clearly communicated for the rest of us where we commit together to follow Jesus and we, we communicate that we need each other to live out that reality. That's what our, our, our formal membership covenant does. Um, we, wrote, uh, we read through, when we, the elders, recently read through a pastoral paper that was offering guidance for churches on membership. And there was a statement that I thought was helpful. It's a statement that's helpful in light of baptism and communion and also membership. And so just listen to this. Uh, I hope it brings a bit more clarity for us. Here it is. It's uh, by a guy named Joshua Ryan Butler, and it says this, quote, in the New Testament, only a confession of faith was needed for baptism. That's it. But in the early church era, as the faith grew beyond Jews, proselytes, and those with greater proximity to Judaism, those who had a greater understanding of Israel's scriptures, and as many heresies arose, creating confusion over basic Christian beliefs and ethical expectations, catechism arose to help catechists get a clear understanding of what they were stepping into. So, you could argue that the New Testament only requires a confession of faith to baptize someone. But you could also argue that people in the New Testament had a much greater understanding of what they were confessing and what baptism meant. Today, things are not the same. Given how cluttered Christianity has become with misunderstandings and imported cultural values, you could discern a need, given our cultural context, for more education and greater clarity about the Christian faith a person is confessing and being baptized into. Does that make sense? So this is being communicated in light of baptism. I think you could carry it over into membership as well. I think this is the reality. I think that you could just take Romans, take the New Testament church there was a more readily available understanding of what it meant and what was being committed to and what was being confessed as followers of Jesus. There is a lot of cultural confusion and clutter around what it means now. There's a lot of easy believism and cheap evangelical individual consumer Christianity that doesn't look anything like actually following Jesus. And so part of what we're communicating here or, and trying to bring clarity to then is what does it look like? What does it mean? 
Why is it important? Because our intent is to, to, to be a people who go deeper as disciples of Jesus. Um, we'll keep working towards that. So I want to finish off with this. Uh, four things in regards to membership. Okay? So in membership, number one, we are fighting against a consumer church mentality. And I wrestled through this because, again, this isn't explicit in Scripture, but there, this is just super practical for us. We don't want you to leave easy. And, and, but we, we live in a world in which it's super easy to just leave. Um. Like, I think we've experienced this in many ways. Like, it's super easy to just say, yeah, we're, we're, we're in. We're committed totally until next week. And then gone. Or how many, yeah. Um, so this is, this is just a practical point of membership. We, the, the, the fact is that we live in a consumer-driven world, and the church has become no different. And so what we want to understand is this, is that our driving question when it comes to the local church is not what's in it for me. Like we don't come and scan and be like, man, I love music. That was good. Check. Uh, children's ministry. Cool. My kids aren't with me. Check. Pastor's sermon. Yeah. Spot on. Check. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, now, again, you know, don't get me wrong. Yeah, we want to be a part of local church who is biblical, loves Jesus, and so there obviously needs to be assessment, and y'all are here, and so you've assessed, and you like what you see so far. It's good. We want you to make those assessments, but our driving question as followers of Jesus is not to be what's in it for me. It's how do I contribute? How, how, how do I, as, as a member of this body, contribute to this body? And we understand that that's not going to look the same for all of us, but What's important for us to understand is that we all have a part. We, you are all, as members of Tabri Church, like we're just going to assume that you're all going to become members, you all have an important role to play in this local church. And we want to experience that reality to the fullest. Okay? So, absolutely, we are fighting against a consumer church mentality. And this, you know, is interesting. I, I was talking with someone about this this morning. Uh, they, they ran into someone, it's always awkward when you run into someone who left Tapper Church. <laughs> uh, and, and then try, kind of just, yeah, I don't know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that shows that it's harder to leave a local church when you have a covenant in place. Um, just is. Second, in membership, we're laying down our freedoms. This, this, this really begins to kind of push against us. Um, because as, here, let's do this. As Americans, our highest stated value is freedom. Okay. And freedom's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like my freedom a lot. But as followers of Jesus, we have a, we have a unique understanding of freedom. And there's a, there, yeah, there's a lot that we'll flesh out with this in the coming weeks. But freedom, biblically, 
is freedom to lay yourself down. It tends to be more an ability and a willingness in Christ to give up your rights. Now, here, let's look at it like this. John Mark Comer, he wrote a book called Live No Lies. Highly encourage it. He says this. He says, quote, for those of us who follow Jesus, we choose of our own free will to place ourselves under external authority, that of God himself as mediated through scripture and to a degree our church. We do this because we believe authority is not inherently oppressive, but similar to parenting for children, a training ground for us to learn how to master our flesh and grow into people of love. Through trusted sources of authority, we get access to reality. And when authority is used well, with wisdom and compassion, we grow and mature into the kind of people who live in congruence with reality, and as a result, have the capacity to handle even more freedom. So think, think of that, and then think also in light of what Paul is writing in, in, to, in Rome. In Rome, you have, you have an oppressive world order, basically. And Paul's saying, no, actually, we have, a, we have a newfound freedom in Christ. And that freedom means that we don't, we don't live under the world order anymore. We live under the order of Jesus. And we lay down our freedoms for one another, which in Rome would have looked like those who are most highly honored laying themselves down and becoming slaves, in, in essence, is what it would have looked like. In, in the context of the local church, and so what, we are, what we're understanding as members is that we have this commitment in the context of the local church to lay down ourselves, to, to live lives in humility for the sake of the other, right? which is the third point, that in membership we're expressing our need for others and others' need of me. So here, here's, here's where you really see this play itself out. In, in Romans 12, you see this phrase happen several times. Uh, it's this phrase, one another, one another. And it's an interesting phrase in the New Testament. Actually, one another, the Greek word for one another is one Greek word, and it's all alone. I just find that to be ironic. <laughs> At any rate. And it's an interesting phrase. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a phrase that's used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. Okay. And what you see is this, is one-third of them are about unity, another third of them are about love, and then 15% of them stress an attitude of deference and humility among believers. And then the rest of them vary from things like kissing one another to bearing burdens, to speaking truth. So what you see is over and over and over again, what Paul is getting at, what Peter's getting at, the New Testament writers are getting at, is this particular way in which we're to live, conduct life with one another. And we're always being drawn to this reality that we don't exist as followers of Jesus for ourselves. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to rescue us from hell. That's like a good benefit. 
But he, he, he died and rose as Lord and King. And he, he creates a new people who live under that reality. Our confession is that Jesus is King. No one else. Jesus is Lord. No one else. And in a world that is constantly pulling us towards sin and governments that are increasingly wanting to become oppressive, we understand that the way for us to maintain a steadfast faith is with one another. That we encourage and admonish one another as followers of Jesus. These are commands in the New Testament. I think it's interesting one of the most neglected realities for followers of Jesus is our need to persevere. Our need to persevere. Have you ever tried to persevere through something alone? It's, it's really hard, huh? But there's, there's something that happens when, like, when someone gets into life with you. When you know that there's others who are committed with you. It creates a different ability. And so for us to persevere to the end, as we're admonished so many times throughout the New Testament, we just need one another to do that. Now, the need for one another, I wanted to put this in here too, is it includes a need for leaders, a need for leaders, spiritual leaders. So one of the challenges for us as leaders is, is this. This little verse in Hebrews 13 says this, again, speaking to a local church, a group, the the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who it is, says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, if we stop there, that's, that's overwhelming. But it goes on and it says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I completely understand that that verse has been misused and abused on a number of levels. Uh, And in Taproot, when it comes to membership, understand this, that our covenant is not between members and elders. It, It is one another. We're, we're together, one another. Okay? But it doesn't change the fact that there are leaders, right? that, that God has established authority structures, and that there is a need for leadership. And, and you might push back against this whole idea of obeying and submitting and so on and so forth. I don't know if you caught it, though. It says that leaders are accountable for your souls. That's That's horrifying. And I don't, I don't know what that means exactly. I hope that I get to meet Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But I know that I carry that weight seriously, and I know the other elders in Taproot Church carry that weight seriously, that we are accountable for your souls. Now, here's, here's what's important for us and, and helpful for us is to know whose souls are we accountable to. Because again, in a, in a church consumeristic church world, I don't think that we're accountable to every soul that walks through the door. Because there's a lot of souls that just don't want any accountability. Also, we're not accountable for all of the souls at First Baptist Church or 
at uh, Twin Falls Community Church or at any other local church. Like, as an, as an elder, as a pastor, like there's, I can't be accountable for those local churches. Does that, does that make sense? And those local churches aren't accountable to me in any way, shape, or form. Right? So we're, we're covenanting together as a local church and we're communicating who's accountable to whom. And so we as elders, then we get to understand, like, these are, these are the souls who we are accountable to. These are the people who we are praying for. These are the people who we are shepherding. These are the people who we're watching over and who we desire to flourish. Yeah. Finally, in membership, we are striving for maturity. We're striving for maturity. Paul gets at this in Romans 12, there in verse 2 where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, that is, the word perfect there is the word for mature. It's the same word that we kind of played around with uh, in the Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus said to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's getting at this concept of, of maturity. Okay. Uh, our our desire, our commitment with and to one another is that we would, that we would be mature followers of Jesus and that we would commit to that with one another, that there would be a constant growth in that, as Paul said in, in, in Colossians, he says that he, he labors, he, he toils, he strives with all of the energy that God works within him to present the saints mature in Christ. And so it's our, our deep and earnest desire in Taproot Church to be mature followers of Jesus. And we need each other to do that, to be a part of that. And so that's, that's what membership is getting at. Um, I hope that's helpful and just gives us a, a framework for the coming weeks that we would continue to be committed to each other as followers of Jesus and encouraging each other and laying our lives down for the sake of the other, recognizing that we need one another to persevere to the end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you entered into human history and that you lived perfectly in our place and died the death that we deserve to die and rose victoriously from a grave and are ruling and reigning even now as Lord and King. We thank you that you are, that you are King above all. And we confess that reality. Jesus, thank you that you have, through your blood, as we'll be reminded of this morning in communion, You've established this covenant, this new covenant people, that we are covenanted to you, Jesus, and with each other. And I pray that you would just enable us to, to see and to experience the good that comes uh, in being committed to a local church. And Lord, I, I just pray this morning for those who have had bad experiences that you would, you would bring healing and restoration, 
Lord, that it would just, yeah, that it would be understood that there is plenty of room, space here for conversations, that questions would be asked, and that each of us would, um, would, would walk humbly with one another in this process. Would we pray just for the, the building up and the strengthening of, of this local church? Not just for ourselves, though, but for the, the sake of the world around us that many would come to know and follow Jesus. So we just thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have the ability to gather together freely, to learn what it means to be truly free in Christ. And may you just be honored, glorified, and worshiped. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.